Joel White here, host of the Rams in White podcast. We're going to be speaking about business, property and finance, talking with industry experts, property professionals, investors, developers, entrepreneurs, and ultimately how to grow, scale and build momentum in your business. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Rams in White business property and finance podcast. My name is Joel White, the host of the podcast. Uh, thanks again for joining us. I'm here today with Safe Therese uh, from SDGB Properties. Uh, Safe was a former pharmacist, uh, business owner, transitioned into uh, property around 2017, um, has bought and sold over 130 properties in that time frame, uh, featured in the Sunday Times for his um, commitment to property in the business. Um, also works as as commented, I've seen on uh, Together Loans, a lender that we are familiar with here at Rams in White, and uh, some top tips there that we can get into. Um, he also moved into auctions and uh, using that kind of vehicle to buy and sell properties, and I believe has sold over. Uh, 70 bought and sold over 70 properties in that space and read well over 400 uh, legal packs I believe in that time frame which is really important to do so uh, I really wanted to get safe on to the onto the podcast for a while now because he's got a, a depth of experience he's a true professional and uh, always adds value when he's commentating around this the industry and what's going on because he has a true ear to the ground so safe welcome to the podcast thanks for joining me yeah, thanks for having me on, Joel. Really, really interested and uh, yeah, look forward to doing this to be fair. I've been wanting to do this for a while with you as well. Appreciate that. So obviously I give a little intro to, you know, your, your business previously and what you've done to date, but can, do you want to elaborate a little bit on it and let us know kind of, you know, what, what you do and, and how you got there? Sure. Yeah, so start off as a pharmacist. So uh, I think graduated in 2014. Uh, basically did a year just we have to do like a year's training whatever uh, so working and, and studying at the same time so did four years with a master's a year's training so five years in total and I think I did about two years worth of pharmacy work before I sort of got to a point where I just found it too repetitive more than anything the pay was good and um, it was a good industry to be in I really did enjoy certain parts of it but I just found it so repetitive so and everyone, all my peers around me were kind of just moaning about it at the time and I thought rather than moan about it let me actually try and do something about it and um, the, the really good thing with, with pharmacy, right, is, and, and if anyone's in a kind of this healthcare type space, is you can transition because you're, you're allowed to do locuming. So effectively, locuming is, you know, day to day, you get, you get to pick and choose which days you work, which days you don't want to work. You are self-employed. Um, and then you can kind of fit that around your, you know, whatever you're trying to do. If you're trying to transition into any kind of business, really, because I, I don't look at property as property. I look at it as a business. And it just so happens that property is the vehicle that we kind of trade and operate within. But if you're trying to get into any form of business, really, um, you can use that as a stepping stone. Um, beyond just doing that, so what I did was first, before I even started the property, I started a pharmaceutical trading business. So I sort of used the locoming side of things to transition into pharmaceutical trading, did a bit of pharmaceutical trading. I, I still have that company today, in all honesty. Um, but I just found that that kind of company in general and I saw that the margins were getting squeezed. So it was very commoditized. The prices were coming down. The raw material prices were going up. And I just saw the margins. So I thought, if I want to sustain business in general, where do I go? What do I do with this? Made a bit of money from it and decided, right, put that money into property as a, as a vehicle. I actually started off in 2015 with just a really simple buy to let. In. I did it in Salford, uh, well, where Salford is anyway. Saw Salford Keys going up, all these new bills, pouring into money, yeah, pouring loads of money into it. I decided the low hanging fruit for me was to go in and look at 
what's already built, you know, something that's five, 10 years old, you've already amortized a lot of new built premium in it. So it's just a really basic thought that I had um, went in, I bought something there and, you know, that, that was kind of the start of it. Just really simple, vanilla stuff. Um, it wasn't until 2017 that I then bought another two or three properties, which were more student HMOs. So I took that leap of faith to go from single let's to student HMOs. Um, and then from there, that's when I kind of started to build the, the property portfolio, really. Awesome. Okay. Um, so quite some experience. And I think one of the main things I took away there is you treat property as a business. Um, yeah. What we see for a lot of our clients who treat their business, well, property as a business, they seem to get more results. There's more systems in place, processes. They take it a bit more seriously. They get the right people around them. And there's a bit more momentum. Um, and also, it's, it's not just about the growth. And it's also looking at the protection side of things. So how can you build a robust business? Um, yeah. And look at, the, I guess, the risks that are around the, that surrounding the business. How can you offset that? So that's positive. Um, okay, so how so what I wanted to get into is um, the the scaling because you've you know you've bought a lot of properties in a sh relatively short space of time, um, so there's a lot of experience in there. So what we want to get into is the building of the portfolio, how you built at such a quick spe uh, uh, pace, and uh, you know finding your way into auction and vehicles. Uh, talk to us a little bit about you know making that tr transition from one business into another. Obviously, same mindset. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. what was the thoughts behind the scaling? So um, I think the thing is, I've got a kind of graph that shows like, you know, one property in 2015, three properties in 2017. And then when we get to kind of 2020 and 2022, it just kind of goes like that. So the reason there's a lag at the start was for me to cut my teeth into everything, understand everything, learn everything. That initial, I'd say, three to four year lag where you don't feel like much is happening, you're not really doing loads that's the point that either makes or breaks you basically so you're either going to say right i've learned a lot here i've got all the ingredients to kind of go and, and scale now because what you don't want to do is you don't want to scale you know or people just say you don't want to scale or grow cancer right so if something's bad don't don't scale and grow it you've got to kind of have the right foundations to scale that and grow it right so i think for me it was trying to understand that so i was the typical landlord i started off going around genuinely my toolbox you know fixing all the problems the tenants were calling me i was doing all this that and the other because I wanted to learn and understand what was going on with stuff. And um, so I learned a lot just by doing that. And then I quickly realized in order to scale, we need to try and start to build a team. So my first team, if you'd like, that I tried to piggyback off was just a professional team around me. So found an estate agent, you know, got a solicitor, found everyone that I could leverage, if you'd like, because I'm paying them on an ad hoc basis. So that was the first start to my scaling Beyond that, I then started to bring my brother in. So I brought my brother into the business because he was basically, he was working almost as in, in project management, if you'd like, but more, he was, he was in the vaping industry, setting up their shops for, for a couple of um, clients down in Brighton. So I said, you know, why don't you come over here? He was commuting up and down, doing a lot of the project management side of things with me. And then sort of eventually he became kind of, if you'd like, separate to my wife, he became the first kind of official business partner slash team member employee, whatever you want to call them. I don't really call them employees. Everyone's team members at the end of the day. Yeah, yes. Um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, of course, I agree with that, definitely. Yeah, so then I think what we did beyond that was then just start to put R&Rs together. So roles and responsibilities and basically really start to streamline everything. So just as an example, we mapped out the whole process. So what's the process from start of how do you find a property? What's the acquisition side of, finding, uh, of buying the property? How do you optimize a property? And then how do you manage a property and do asset management as well? And literally broke down every single piece. And it took time to understand it all. But 
just mapped everything out, started to divide roles and responsibilities, started to build the team. As we built the team, the roles and responsibilities started to basically um, you know, go down and, and get diluted, essentially. So then you have, rather than 10 roles and responsibilities, you've got maybe one or two roles and responsibilities, but for a large amount of things. So people say, you know, how do you do it? How do you manage, you know, your own, our own portfolio is about 70 or 80 properties ourselves. And how do you manage 200 properties for other people? It really is about trying to break down roles and responsibilities. And then if you can wrap around it as well, some key metrics as well. So we want to understand metrics like, you know, how long is it taking us, for example, in the month of April to buy a property? So in April, we've got loads of bank holidays, as an example. So actually, it takes us three weeks rather than our standard two weeks. Mm. So when we're agreeing something next year, we'd go back on our metrics and say, actually, hold on a second. Let's look at how long it took us. Because when we're agreeing something, they say, how long is it going to take you? We say, hold on, we'll look at the data. April average, it's three weeks. So that's that's how we set everything up. So everything's about understanding metrics and, and timeframes, but then also understanding how to assign roles and responsibilities. This all sounds complicated. So let's strip all of that back and just go back to basics. The basics is, you know, we find properties that we can buy. The thing is, you can buy properties with a mortgage, you can buy properties with pure cash, or you can buy properties with a bridging loan, you know, whichever one you want to do. If you want to buy mortgage uh, properties with a mortgage, the reality is you're going to basically kill off your capital, right? So you put your 25% down, your capital's killed off for two years or five years, depending on what kind of terms you've got. So that's kind of being a bit lazy with your capital. But if that's what you want to do and you've got a full-time job and other things going on, that's fine. You're just not going to grow quicker. If you want to buy things with cash, again, you know, your return on capital employed is going to go down massively because you're not using leverage and the whole point of property is leverage, right? However, at the same time, there's only so much cash you've got, so that's going to limit you. So for us, the middle ground was bridging, right? So it really, yes, it costs more and people look at bridging and think, okay, it's expensive. Again, like any business expense, you just got to try and put it into your numbers, right? So bridging allowed us to basically try and scale what we're doing because it really allowed us to stretch the equity. And the whole point of bridging is, yeah, there's a lot of misconception about bridging, but the reality of bridging is it's a 12 month project product on average, right? So you've got to be in and out within 12 months in an ideal situation. And sometimes people have, you know, a certain amount of months that you can't pay it back, you can't redeem it by, some people don't depend. But let's say zero to 12 months, you've got to be, buying that property, doing whatever you've got to do to optimize it, whether you go and get a tenant out and refurb it and put a new tenant in, whether you've just basically got to buy it and you know do some asset management on it and try and sort the, the tenancy situation out, the leases out, whatever. But effectively, you've got 12 months, the clock starts ticking. So as long as you can buy it, do whatever you need to do within 12 months and then get off, usually if you've added a value or solved the problem, you've got the uplift, you can that's where the scalability starts, right? It, but then just trying to understand the operations behind buying it with a bridge, sorting out the optimization and then, and then selling, it, uh, sorry, refinancing it, that alone requires a lot of moving parts. And I appreciate that's not for everyone. Not everyone can do that. So for us, that's why we kind of set up the, the, I guess you can say the portfolio building side is because we've grown what we've done to a certain extent where we've got economies of scale where we can say to people, look, we can actually do a large part of this, right? So a big part is just, for example, asset management. Let's look at that specifically. If you have one or two properties, it's easy for you to diarize, okay, I'm going to refinance off and come off the bridge at this point. What happens when you've got 100 properties, 1,000 properties? How do you do that? And that comes back to having a specific asset management optimization type of tab that tells you and specifically flags up, this is due for refinance. Start the refinance process from now. You know, and it, Usually it's a couple of months before you need to, to come off the bridge. So it gives you that 
um, kind of period. Sorry, that was a lot, and I know we kind of need to uncover a lot as well. Yeah, that, that, that was brilliant. I, I love it. Um, I think it's really useful to see um, for, for someone to see how uh, who wants to be in property or maybe has a handful of properties and looking to scale of like actually the level of detail you can go into to build a successful portfolio, which you've done obviously 70, 80 properties yourself in your own portfolio. And now, you know, you have the letting agents and the portfolio building uh, and the portfolio building business. Um, in terms of the metrics, I love that. So as in my businesses, I mean, trading businesses and uh, property companies, um, I love the numbers. I love the metrics. I love looking at, you know, how long does it take us to get a mortgage offer out? What What's the reasons behind the delays? Is it on the legal teams? Is it something we can do to improve? Or what, how long is the documents taken to get back? So it really helps me make better decisions when looking to scale or contract a bit. How, where does that come from, from your side of things? Is that someone else has brought that to business? Is you just that way naturally inclined? Like, because a lot of people don't even think about the metrics. They just barrel in, try and do a deal and, you know, find themselves in deep water and then kind of try and barrel themselves out again? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it comes from trial and error in all honesty. So for me, everything's about just, you know, not jumping in with two feet, but just start kind of dipping your toe in the water, figuring out where the problems are, what the scaling pains are, and then kind of just going back. So everything that we were doing was a case of just trying to figure out where the problems were. Every time there was problems, we're kind of going back and saying, right, where are the problems coming from, right? How can we put something tangible to understand if we are going to come across problems and try and prevent it from happening in the first place that's really how metrics are born more than anything so and, and the thing is metrics are, are evolving so what we don't do is set the metrics to say that's the metrics we've got to always do them we, we're saying you know on a monthly basis we're running through them and saying are these metrics actually useful anymore what, what's mm. the point of doing them if they're not useful like are you actually benefiting from them or are they just used for us to give us an oversight on the whole business right and if it doesn't tick any of those two boxes we're not interested in them. We'll, we'll basically either change them or we'll take them out. The Rams and White podcast is proudly sponsored by TFG Capital, a non-regulated short-term finance lender able to deal with intermediaries, landlords, investors and developers across the UK. With a strong appetite to lend and the ability to fund bridging loans within a matter of days, TFG will find a lending solution that's exactly tailored to the client's requirements for either investment purchase, refinances, release of equity or refurbishments. With hands-on senior leadership team deeply experienced in real estate finance, they can offer a unique service to take on challenges other lenders often can't. Lending decisions are based on the security and not the serviceability, financial performance or credit reports. If you're looking for business-related cash flow to refinance or add to your property portfolio or require funding for your next development and would like to find out more, feel free to contact the team today on 0800 061 four eight three four the reality is just understanding really like as your business grows you can't be involved in every single thing right so you've got to take you've got to let go of you know a lot of your responsibilities essentially and trust that other people are going to do it but the thing is rather than kind of abdicating that try and delegate it and actually wrap it around with metrics so you can still understand if there's a problem then you can zoom in and troubleshoot that problem rather than being involved in all the nitty-gritty mm. it just prevents scalability right yeah, I think being a good like business owner, leader, whatever that may be in your in your organization is having that ability to have that kind of helicopter view where you look yeah. down on the business. OK, everything seems to be working. OK, there's an issue over there. I'm going to land, move into it and move on again or put a team around that that can solve the problem and move forward. But yeah, I mean, look, I still love getting involved in certain problems within the business because there is always times where, you know, 
there, there's going to be problems that the team can't solve mm. and that for me means that we're scaling that that's a good sign and so i'm happy to kind of come in and say right okay what's the problems put our heads together brainstorm and try and figure it out and then put a plan together and the, the key there is explaining and showing it to them so then they they can do that next time so that the key really is the scalability element is solving it but then allowing them to see how you solved it so then they can solve that problem next time because that allows you to go to bigger and bigger problems every single time yeah no agreed um and you mentioned then so the metrics are in place you're monitoring them are we efficient can we be more efficient um training and developing the team to deal with problems and move, ultimately move the business forward and you mentioned about purchasing different ways of purchasing acquisition finance uh cash bridging typical residential mortgage, uh, buy -to mortgages um you touched on something with the bridging that it's you know it's kind of a dirty word sometimes when i speak to investors or new investors and i think that terminology like bridging finance is is almost frowned upon because they feel like um it, you only use it if you're in a desperate situation, like you're selling your residential home, trying to buy your dream home, and it, you can't sell your resi in time, and you need a bridge to to acquire the, the onward purchase until your um, property being sold is is uh, it has sold. And then, like when that when that was first introduced, a lot of there wasn't as many lenders in the market, and that uh, less competition, higher rates, and uh, unregulated market as well. So it, the, the the kind of um, movers in that space weren't the, weren't the best so the outcomes weren't always uh fair i'd say and that's why i guess where that's kind of that stemmed from that stigma around it but i think what we've seen over the last several years is a lot of um investors like yourself using that type of finance and using it to kind of really scale their business where other products will prohibit you or using cash will be depleted quite quickly and these bridging products can be used to, to scale um especially if you're um, adding value to, to the asset. Um, and that off the back of that, we've seen these lenders come into the market and say, do you know what? We want to work with these type of borrowers because they've got good credit reports. They're treating property like their business and they're buying multiple assets in this space and they're adding value to them. So the assets kind of getting looked after as we manage well. Um, and that's created more lenders coming to the market and that's then created competition. So we've now seen the space where rates around bridging is a, a lot more competitive um which is a great vehicle to use um or facility to use we found and in some cases they will lend towards uh, the refurb as well if uh, the experience and schedule of works there so uh, yeah i'm glad you kind of mentioned that what's been what what is kind of your if you don't mind sharing in terms of funding um I know you've worked a bit of together and various other lenders do is it kind of a mix between investor finance and bridging or how do you kind of put that together yeah so um so we do a couple of things really so we're trading properties to be able to basically build up our capital right so the, the trading arm is the capital building pot right. but then that could be anything from so a lot of the listeners probably are maybe in a well-paid job where they can obviously we you know get some some surplus cash year on year and build that up they might have a business where they're getting surplus cash from that year on year build that up they might have sold a business so that the key really is you've got to have some kind of cash pot to go with. Now, if you don't have a cash pot to go with, which is still fine, you've got to basically be able to have someone around you that has that cash pot that you can obviously leverage. The difficulty is, you know, is it chicken and egg situation is how do you leverage that if you've not got, if you've not got track record, but how can you get a track record if you've not got the leverage? So it is difficult. And some people will have to borrow that, you know, that track record in terms of trying to say, look, I'm, I'm going to do a JV with someone that is more, let's say experience, 
They then leverage the, the cash from someone within their network and then use bridging for the rest. Mm. The reality is you're not going to be making money on the first couple of deals because you try and build up your track record, which is fine. Um, but then some people that do have the cash pot, it's nice and easy because then you can combine that cash pot, as I said, with some bridging and then basically put those two things together and use that. Do we raise investor finance? Yes, we do, but not all the time because what I don't want to do is, and uh, you know, one of our, I mean, our brand colors are, are green and, and our biggest value is sustainability. I'm not interested in basically taking loads of people's money, not being able to use it, utilize it effectively, and then not being able to pay investors back. But there's no point about that. So, yeah, the, the whole tale of you know return of investment, return before the return on investment is kind of the, the most key thing here. So, from our point point of view, what we've done is we've combined a joint venture. So we've had we have probably one or two joint ventures that we've done. Beyond that, we don't want to have loads of joint venture partners. It gets quite messy, and it is pretty much a marriage. So that's that in, within those vehicles. Beyond that, we then go and raise some in, investor finance if we need to. The interesting thing is actually one of my business partners within those joint venture finance companies, um, uh, SPV, sorry, when he gets to a point where he's deployed all his cash within the company, he'll, he'll, he'll use his network because he's a professional anyway. He lives out in Qatar. He'll use his network to raise the finance within that vehicle as well. And um, so it's quite a self-sufficient vehicle in terms of where we need it. And then we can combine that with bridging as well. So what do we do? We use our own cash. We use some, we've got some vehicles that are joint ventures and then basically we'll raise some investor finance. But once we blend it all in, it takes the risk out. Because if we went and raised a million pound on a loan note tomorrow, you know, you're on the hook for that million pound plus mm. you've got to pay back the interest. And for me, unless you can sustainably say I can, I've got something that's, you know, pretty much going to pay this off and we've got something that's got enough margin to pay it off, it's just too risky. So blending in some loan notes with your own cash with JV, it just blends in the risk as well. Mm. Uh, and would you say what in terms of a risk profile where, where would you sit on that scale of kind of low to low medium high risk what would you how would you kind of rate yourself there so i'd probably i'd probably say low to medium risk and the reason is although we take some people can see us as taking risks we're taking very very calculated risks mm. so what i'm interested in is high reward you know high reward low to medium risk i'm not interested in the low reward medium to high risk because that's what a lot of people do. They, they, they look at, like, j- just take, for example, developments, right? If you're looking at a development today and you're at 15 to 20% net margins, just an example, right? Net margins to cost or net margins to GDP, let's say. Uh, if you're looking at that, for me, that's where the risk, that's, that's low reward for, for basically medium to high risk because you've got operational risk to deliver the project, materials potentially going up in value, you know, potentially having to sell it to recoup the money. So that, for me, is a risk. From, for, in terms of what we would do, just as an example, we might buy a hundred grand property at 70 grand, for example, right? Um, we might not get an internal viewing on it. So a lot of properties we buy, we don't actually get internal viewings on, we buy blind. Um, so is that a risk? Yeah, that's a risk. However, we know that as a worst, worst case scenario, if we put that into auction with a 60 grand guy tomorrow, it can sell at 80 grand, just as an example. So yeah, that, that's sort of your worst case scenario. Best case scenario, it sells at 90, 95. So for us, we've limited our risk by buying correctly at the, at the beginning and then not have that development, you know, potential development risk as well. So that's the key for us. And that gives us speed and certainty because let's just say the market turns within, you know, mar- to, for the market to turn, usually it would take a couple of months. It doesn't turn like in one day. But if the property market turned, we can start to get out of our trades pretty quickly, even at break even, worst, worst case, and not replace the trades. Whereas if you're in a development for 12 to 18 months, you're not getting out of it. You know, you've got to see it through. Mm. Even if you can see the wave coming, it's almost like, yeah, there's not much you can do about it. So for me, 
I'd say we're very low to medium risk and we kind of understand risk very, very well. Thank you. <clears throat> In terms of um, uh, building the portfolio then for, for clients, I know for the Lettons business and you, you mentioned that, how would that work for, for a client then? Is that in terms of a JV or is that you're building it for their own business? How, what, talk, talk to us a little bit about that, please. So the portfolio building service came about because people seeing what we're doing, we, weren't, we didn't have anything to sell. You know, we don't do any kind of mentorship or courses. We, don't really, we didn't really do anything beyond just JV. So people come to us and saying, right, the only thing you're offering at the minute is JV, that's it. But then we were saying, look, a JV is, can get quite, uh, intimate because it is pretty much like a, a financial marriage as well and the amount of people coming to us wanting to do that it was just it was not scalable really from our point of view so what we when said is look on a jv usually you know someone will bring money to the table you'd split basically the rent 50 50 after all costs and maybe 50 50 of the equity uplift as well so rather than taking that amount which is higher we take a, a smaller amount at the front end basically so we can find you the property because obviously we've got the cash buying side of the business. We get quite a lot of leads and deals through. We'll find you the property. You pay us a fee for that. We'll then basically do the project management if you need project management as well. Everything's in-house. You pay us a fee for that. It's a transactional, it's a transactional fee. And then on the property management side of things, we've probably got one of the best property managing agencies out there nationwide as well. So we can manage properties pretty much nationwide. And again, that's just a, a, a normal fee that you would pay to any other agent anyway. Um, within that, we can include asset management so we can explain to you, you know, how everything works and say, look, you know, it's time to actually look at start refinancing this because, you know, you're coming close to your six month bridging mark, for example, or your fixed rates coming to an end. You know, so there's a bit of an asset management piece. Plus, we can try and maximize the, the asset value by basically trying to increase either the rental amount. So every year we do rent increases where possible. Um, and we've got a system that allows us to do the rent increases where the tenants are happy and the landlords are happy as well without getting the tenants to sound with a leave, for example. So there's a the system we've got uh, that, that will allow that. So that's what we do. So we said to, to basic clients that we're not going to do JVs, but we can build the portfolio for you. And you can pretty much everything that I've just explained today, you can piggyback all of those, you know, all, on, on all, everything that we're doing. And it took us years to obviously build up. Um, and the reason we do that is because it keeps our overhead, you know, our overheads are 200, 250 grand a year, just, just on a simple basis. So it keeps our overheads paid at least and it keeps everything ticking along. Yeah, exactly. And while you guys are like uh, view, um, uh, analyzing so many deals, some are coming into your portfolio, some are being might be more uh, congruent with your kind of uh, the clients that are looking to build their own portfolios in other areas, etc. Are you are you uh, looking at various areas for yourselves in your business or are you kind of? I know you mentioned nationwide for the portfolio building, but what about yourself? Are you kind of for everything? And so the same thing we do, literally the same things we do for us, we do for, for, for clients. So we're not, what we're not doing is getting pro uh, properties in and saying, uh, this doesn't work for us. It works for someone else. That's kind of what the majority of people do. We're actually bringing stuff in and saying we would buy this in ourselves as well. So we're trying to be fair with what we do. And um, we, funny enough, we do actually genuinely have clients that come in and say, look, I don't want to wait for it for a really, really cracking deal. I'd rather take a, an average deal because I just want to build the portfolio quickly. So we do have that as well. So we can obviously work accordingly. But generally speaking, if I was going to say, where are we concentrated in the UK? East Midlands, Yorkshire, Northwest, and a bit of the West Midlands. Those, that's where we're concentrated. But as I said, we really can handle stuff wherever we need to, really. So we've got some stuff down in uh, the south, uh, Southeast as well and the Southwest. 
And if, is there a bit of a process for someone who was wanting to work for yourselves and, you know, they might be, they might have a corporate job, they might be inherited yeah. money, might have a, um, a pot of money, sophisticated investor, whatever that may look like, but they're looking, they don't have the time uh, or maybe the knowledge, but they know they want to build a portfolio, maybe diversify into property. And that's where you guys have come in, clearly have demonstrated a track record, put your own money into deals, built your own portfolio, and now offering this service to uh, other clients and you want to do a good job by them because one it's the right thing to do and two it helps your business as well so and you'll, and you'll build a long-term relationship so yeah what would be the process be like for for someone wanting to work for yourselves yeah so i'd say that the main thing that we don't do is we don't just sort of offer the sourcing services what what sources do so what we're saying to people is saying look what we're trying to do is trying to create so we'll sit down with people we'll create a strategy around their what, what they want to do so I don't know, I want to build a £5,000 a month net income, just for example. So that's what you want to build. What's the time frame? Maybe five years or six years, whatever it is, whatever the time frame is. And then we'll break it down and say, right, realistically, you need X amount of properties over this amount of years. You know, there's a, again, there's going to be that lag initially to build, start building up a portfolio. But this is what the portfolio building kind of will look like for your kind of journey. So in order to do that, basically, we take a commitment fee from them. So it's a £1,000 commitment fee. We start to do build the strategy. And then as soon as they pay that, we built the strategy to go to the top, basically, where as soon as we get a deal, that will come through to them. And it can basically, but what we're trying not to do is trying to basically, we're not pushing out deals. We're kind of saying, look, this is a strategy. You're basically, you know, you're wanting us to build a portfolio for you. Mm -hmm. This is a great property to build, to start building your portfolio from. And these are great properties to start adding to it. Because the only things that we're putting through to clients is the only things that we'll manage on the back end. So we can project manage and manage on the back end. What we never ever want to do is go and buy in a really crappy area where the numbers look great. And the reality is the client's going to come back to us after and say, you know, you, you basically, you, you've, you've misinformed them and bought in the wrong area or whatever, because that will come back to us. We're, we're end to end on this whole service, right? So, and we're, we're having relationships with clients for a couple of years now, and we want to have relationships with them for 20, 30 years. So making sure that they're happy is number one for us. So, we're not interested in just doing a transaction. We're interested in building long-term relationships with the people and making sure they're happy with that as well. Yeah, and no, I can agree more there. It's the same as well. And you mentioned, you know, one of your um, values was sustainability. You yeah. Know, it goes into working with clients long-term as well, yeah, um, exactly. which is really good. So, you know, whilst um, you've been building the portfolio, um, talk to us about some of maybe the, uh, the, the highlights or and also maybe some of the pain points that you've kind of had to overcome adapt as a business to, to move deals forward yeah so there's always a sensitivity to anything you're doing right so there's certain things you just can't control and mm -hmm. um, valuations are always the, the the one that you probably have as a bane of your life and a bane of every investor's life so yeah yeah not being able to control the end valuation so we might have stuff that you know we paid 70 grand for just as an example did a 10k refurb on and we think it's worth 120 and you can see transactionally there's stuff at 120 or whatever and the value is just not having any of it you know can we do anything about it no we can't and um, and and that's one thing that i'd say is a big pain point in all honesty and any customer or client that we're working with understands that from the beginning so we're explaining to people look that's one variable we just can't control at the end of the day it doesn't matter how much evidence we have and you probably know as well that out of i'd probably say we, we probably did about 20 to 25 um, um, where we kind of challenge challenges, I'd say, on valuations. We, we only ever got one that was actually changed. So we just don't bother with that anymore. Um, so that's a big challenge for us is the valuations. Now, within reason, you can control that. Basically doing a, a decent refurb on it and showing that there's a good before and after is one thing. 
um, also waiting long enough that there's enough transactions as well. So sometimes we do a lot of ours where we're refinancing within six months and the valuers are like, just don't like it sometimes. Sometimes they don't mind it, it depends. But yeah, I'd say valuations is a big thing for us. And that's another metric that we, yeah, we can we can see month to month how many down valuations we're getting, how many valuations are coming on track, which is pretty good. Um, people, you know, finding good quality people, you know, we have a massive labor shortage in the UK at the minute, you know, believe what you want to believe in terms of what the media says. But you know, I can guarantee on the floor, on the ground at the minute, you know, we do have a massive labor shortage and people are really that they, they you know every single company now is competing with fighting for, for basically employing talent mm -hmm. and one thing that we are really struggling with is employing the right talent so you know um is there people out there that want jobs yeah there's loads of people that you can employ but trying to employ the right type of talent is, is the hard part um so i think for me that's kind of the big two things is, is people and um you know valuations i guess and um, are we having issues with deals I'd, I'd probably say deals are up and down but because we do a lot of direct to vendor marketing through the cash buying side, you know, we spend nearly 12 grand a month just on marketing alone sometimes. Um, so we are getting a consistent amount of deals, but, you know, deals are like anything really. You might get, you know, 15 deals one month, and next month we might have three or four, but we can kind of average out and even out if we need to. Yeah, no, I get that. They say it's like buses, isn't it? You, one name comes and then yeah. a load come. But it's just being consistent with your, with your marketing campaign you know um i think with the valuations yeah we've seen a lot of down valuations around when brexit was being announced and there was a kind of cautiousness from the surveyors and yeah we, we that was a painful kind of time frame where we're trying to kind of the vet the, the investors were trying to refinance out away from their bridging or investor finance and we're just falling a little bit short in terms of the loan to value or gdv that they they had in mind um because of the cautiousness and uh yeah so that that was painful but then we kind of seen uh, a real boom i guess in over the last um well since we kind of come out of lockdown the pent-up demand the low interest rates at the time and um people just still had uh, funds and then realizing that their home was uh like their castle and they could work from home so where people wouldn't have to commute into london or Liverpool, Manchester, they could work somewhere a bit more rural where they've always wanted to live and get more for their money. That created more demand. Um, so they were like real drivers. We've seen a steady kind of um, uh, kind of valuations coming. Okay, we've seen a couple of down valuations over the last couple of months. I mean, we do about 160 applications a month. Um, but I've seen about a few um, valuations come in, but nothing, nothing like it was back the, the, the Brexit time. So it'll be interesting to see how the next 12 months unfold and in regards to people yeah i think there's no point employing people just for the sake of having someone in the team you know you can have a really good training and development program but actually does that person have the right attitude and attitude isn't it so we look at attitude and attitude, attitude do they want to do the job um do they have the right what they of time how they present themselves how they communicate and um attitude is have they got the capabilities of doing it you know you can train them up but are they right for the role um and uh the the trial and error on that one can be expensive <laughs> getting it right. up. but when you get good people then you've got to build that culture and um a business that they want to be part of for long term um, yeah yeah because it's not always about money for people and and that's the thing that people don't understand and if you are bringing someone on board that's all about the money for that probably you've not hired the right person you know you've not kind of mapped out what is what does look like a great yeah. employee so i think for me it's finding people that want to you know enjoy working day to day enjoy the challenges because we got challenges every single day yeah um, 
and then willing to overcome them, but also problem solvers, like problem solvers are the most important thing to, to find in any business, really. Yeah, I agree. I think what I found is people over money probably want like autonomy or a sense of purpose. You know, yeah. what, do they understand their role? Do they get ownership over that? And, you know, what are the plans over the next two to five years within the yeah. organization? Is there a possibility that they can become part of it? Or, you know, what is their plan? And I think it's just constant communication with people and being honest about where the business is going and how they fit into the role. Um, and also, I try and find people that actually have an interest in property and business in general. And I say to them, like, you know, if you want to just pay your council tax, probably not the right place for you. I mean, you'll you can you'll get paid, so you can do that. But actually, if you want, every day you get to speak to entrepreneurs, business owners from all up and down the country, overseas, might be looking at service accommodation, deal source, deal packaging, uh, trading, you know, uh, full-blown commercial development. So, and they're really kind of motivated, positive individuals who are trying to create wealth through property and drive their business forward. Um, so we get the, the benefit of speaking to these people. Yes, we're arranging finance and all the other stuff we do in the background, but actually they're coming to us with these projects and sites that, um, they found and, and put together so there's a lot to learn there as well i think we've got like will who's joined us he's 21 years old he's just bought his first investment property and uh, before he joined us he, he didn't have it he hasn't even bought residential so he's kind of like come into the space and learn and, and figured out what's best for him he spoke to an, an accountant and put the finance place he actually done a bridge of together and um but it's great to see because as the room kind of elevates the business should elevate you know so yeah no, i agree with that okay cool so you know, moving um, in terms of like finding deals, and you mentioned a bit about um, uh, the marketing lot direct. Are you? How does that? How does that deal flow work for you guys? Who's like negotiating with the, the vendors or speaking to them? How, how's that set up for you? Yeah, so um, a, a large part of that is basically, um, you know, people see an ad out. You know, are you looking to sell your house quick, or are you looking to sell your house for cash, or whatever it is. And the majority of people coming through that's you know that want that service have a problem so their problem might be the property is not mortgageable the problem might be they've got some kind of financial deadline that they've got to meet because a lot of people think they're just it's just people in distress and it's not necessarily it's not a lot of the people that come to us and just have a financial deadline that they've got to meet whether they've got a business they have to invest in or something they need to do and they need to liquidate their asset quickly and obviously historically properties you know but even up to today you know properties are very illiquid asset it takes time to sell Unfortunately, the standard transaction length is six to nine months on the open market. And I think the stat is like one in three fall through on average. So you can imagine it's quite frustrating. So if you went and sold your property today, Joel, thinking that I need the I need money or cash in three months, for example, there's not many options available for you if you definitely need it by that point. So you want the guarantee and the certainty that you need the money at that point. If you go to the open market, you know. You might get very, very lucky and might be way below the average and sell it and get your money in three months. But the reality is by the time they list it, take photos, you know, get people through the door, then get an offer accepted, then get searches done, you're probably already three months through, uh, if, if not four months. So our service is all about trying to basically provide a service to people. We are very open and honest with vendors from the beginning and saying, is your property mortgageable? Yes. You know, do you have more than six, nine months to sell it? Yes. Service isn't for you. you know, there's no point of going down this route. You're just going to waste our time and your own time and you're going to get frustrated so that has um just made us more efficient from the beginning we do get the middle ground of uh, and, and a lot of the time we will refer a lot of those people on to local agents just out of goodwill because that builds our relationship with that agent as well so if we need to get deals from that agent or we sell deals for that agent for whatever reason 
that builds that relationship up because we've referred properties you know, with no obligation um, locally. We do the same thing with auction as well. Sometimes people are like, yeah, I've got four or five months, but I do need that speed. I do need certainty, or it might not be mortgageable. Then auction's that middle ground. And then if it's not mortgageable, um, or they just need the speed and certainty, vice versa, then they'll just come to us and say, look, you know, I know that you guys would be paying less than what we'd normally get on the market or through auction. However, we need that speed and we need that certainty. Um, and we usually come in there. I'd say the majority of the stuff that we're buying at the minute is problematic stuff, for example, with tenants in. So tenants that are not dealing, tenants that are not paying, or just tenants that they can't be bothered to get out. We're buying a lot of that stuff because we've got the capability to solve those problems. Um, we're buying a lot of stuff that's run down, but as I said, we're trading that stuff on. So we're trading that by auction, not really doing the refubs ourselves on that, although we can if we need to. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we're going with things. We're not seeing as much distraction. I know a lot of people are talking about, you know, are we going to go into a recession or the rest of it? That doesn't necessarily reflect on the property market as such because the property market is very heavily led by supply and demand, which can be and will be influenced by interest rates, obviously. Um, but generally speaking, we're seeing there's not as much financial distress happening at the minute. And on the flip side of it as well, um, there's not enough stock around. Like, you know, I, I, I speak to a lot of people on the ground and the, the stock levels are just not there and the demand is still there. So, yeah, I, I think this will continue for, for a little while longer. Um, I can't really comment beyond that, but I think just generally in terms of what we're doing, mm. we're just, you know, we're not looking at everything that's going on in the rest of the market. We're kind of just continuing what we're doing and saying, you know, let's continue. We'll see what happens if the, if the market crashes for whatever reason then we'll deal with it at that point. But we're trying our best to mitigate as much risk, i.e. not getting into things that are longer than three to six months timeframes in terms of developments from now, um, which mitigates that risk. Yeah, and no, I get that. I think I think there's that, uh, that old saying, like you're having your major definite purpose. You know, what's your major definite purpose of the business? What direction are you heading in? And then just focusing on that and working out every way possible to move the business in that direction regardless of market conditions obviously you have to be nimble and adapt and but like you said when that when that comes along but I, I speak to the guys here and the partners you know it's good having you know your income coming in but let's not just focus on growth but also protection money so there'll be an element that's for the growth of the business the development of, of products and tech and team members and marketing but also let's protect ourselves in a downturn you know what does that look like how long can we navigate for as a company what is that what do we need to do and building into that so just fat, as a business owner factoring all that in and you know when i look at i kind of just look at the estate agency market that we're in um you know how many properties are coming to market what type of um, vendors are coming to market you know is it divorce is it downsizing is it upsizing is it relocation you know is it retiring landlord like try and get all their metrics that you spoke about and see if there's any trends happening and what, how many buyers are coming to market and you know just across the agents in the area as well and I mean, we had a property recently come on and there was 80 inquiries for one property and it's um you know it's a good problem to have um but also it's like what's going on there but that's just that that demand is so strong i think in that area properties went up by like 34 percent over that covid or just coming out of the covid kind of um I would reverse engineer that and understand if you can buy the properties to put into, you know, to, to sell yourself. So I'd understand where is the demand, what is the demand for, and, and really if you've got an agency, reverse engineer it and try and understand, you know, even if you went out to other traders, cash buying companies and said, look, I'm looking for properties off market in these kinds of areas. Yeah. Um, 
then yeah, you know, just reverse engineer it because I think you've got a lot of good, re really good stats and data that you're getting from within, you know, your agency. So yeah, and that's a good point actually because we've got we've got buyers and we've got funding available and uh, the brands there. So actually, we could okay, where, where's the trends? What let's let's go actually and find that stock for them. Yeah, I think I'm going to redirect a lot of my marketing to Wales now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's gone South Wales in in Twitter is is gone through the roof, you know um but you're happy to share any additional information after the pod yourself so it's no problem at all so um all right brilliant what how was the how was i don't you know we don't talk too much about covid anymore but as as we've come on you said it's quite an interesting time how what have you taken from covid and and implied well applied to your business to kind of i guess strengthen the business and, and move it forward as it were is there any lessons you've taken away from it yeah, I'd say two things, um, well, loads of things, but two things that kind of spring to mind that hopefully will add value. So first thing is crisis management and being able to manage a crisis is, is so, so key. And I think my mind went into full crisis mode and I probably overthought everything and probably put too much in place that we didn't need. But I'd rather have done that and hope for the worst and, sort of, and, and hope for the best and kind of the worst happen and not be prepared for it. So going to full crisis mode was like the best thing that ever happened to us because it really made us a very very lean and then b it made us understand what cash reserves we need in the business in a worst case scenario as well and um, because i don't think people think about cash reserves as in property investors we're always thinking get money out of the bank it's inflation it's all this that and the other yeah. the reality is you need cash reserves because if things come you know if things happen that's beyond your control and for three to six months just for example worst case you've lost all your income just worst case can you sustain that business? You know, that, is that business sustainable? So yeah, and, and not having too much that it makes the capital lazy as well, there's a fine balance, but yeah, understanding that we need more capital reserves in, in the bank at any one point and understanding capital reserves as a concept, number one. And then number two is just understanding how we manage crisis and, and generally when, we, when there's a problem, bringing the whole team together to do brainstorming was just such a, it, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to our business because it was all of a sudden everyone's got their different departments and roles and responsibilities to everyone's come centrally and trying to understand what's going on to try and figure out what problems we're going to see ahead and literally work ahead. And that's what we did. So one of the things was let's get, you know, get all of our developments built out and sold. And at the time we did think of the worst and in all fairness, yes, material prices did go up, but house prices went up as well. So it kind of balanced it out. Um, but we, if, if the worst had happened, we were prepared for that, which, which is the main thing that's come out of this, really. So it prepares you for the next thing that's going to come around the corner, which there's always going to be a black swan event, right? Well, you know, straight out of that, there was obviously the the war in Ukraine and uh, that impact it's having on on uh, prices, energy prices, and probably food, uh, food prices in the near future. Okay. A lot of grain, I think, comes from is 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 is, uh, is growing out there isn't it in russia and ukraine and, and i think fertilizer as well comes from ukraine if i'm not mistaken exactly so people are talking about energy prices but actually if there's a if there's a food crisis you know bread and wheat and stuff in everyday household what impact would that have on on the markets and uh and that so yeah i, I think um the uh be keeping lean cash reserves is, is crucial and then you know feeding the, the kind of what, what's going on in the business back into the team and seeing if you can solve the, that issue together. I think there's quite, something quite, um, I'm not sure the right word is, like, um, uniting about that within the team and what I've learned through, I've never seen a team work so hard in a, any business I've been in when I was since, during COVID because I think no one got furloughed during COVID in Rams and White 
but we just like almost not i don't know if it's working in fear but we just didn't know what was around the corner so we just any call or inquiry or we were just trying to adapt and work to the best of our ability and then that conversations or then conversations around what's happening in the, around the market what can we control what can't we control what can we move forward um it definitely helped us develop and grow um yeah. having the reserves to, to move into any other condition um i mean i spoke to an accountant once and he said to me over the last you know 20 years he he only took 20 percent out of the business because he was just preparing for these events and he was like i don't you know right now that doesn't matter what's happening in the market i know my business is robust for a certain amount of years and stuff which i thought was quite interesting i did take a lot away from that um okay um all right cool so we covered quite a fair bit i think uh, yeah how can um how can people get in touch with you if um if you if they if they're interested in the with the in terms of the project management um the portfolio building, building you know if yeah, you so I'll, um, what i'll do is I'll, I'll drop in my handle so you can kind of drop it into the episode so everyone can kind of have contact uh, with us as well but just generally so it's invest at let-co.com so that's invest at let-co.com you can also find us online so it's www.let-co.com as well perfect well i'll share that with um on our social media platforms as well let people can reach out to you directly just one thing then before you do do shoot what what kind of inspires you um to do kind of what you're doing and, and where's sdgb going now where's what's the future look like for you guys as a company so i'd probably say um what i've really really enjoyed recently is just speaking to more people without necessarily having you know so speaking to people with purpose is really really important mm -hmm. but also just generally networking having conversations with people without having anything on the agenda is being really really cool so i'd say i want to not try and network with more and more people um, and that's where the portfolio building side of things where i've been really enjoying it because i'm speaking to people from all over the world and actually traveling as well somewhat all over the world to try and meet different types of people so that's been pretty cool um, but yeah i'd say for me it, it's all about really trying to grow the team and look back and say you know, success to us looks like, you know, growing the team and making sure that we are obviously progressing forward every single day. So I'm not necessarily interested in saying I want 10,000 properties in this many years. It's more a case of sustainability, slow and steady, um, and just really working with the team and making sure that, you know, everyone's getting their salaries paid. That's sort of a big checklist for me. I'd rather everyone gets paid before I do. And um, because you are dealing with people's livelihoods, are we buying more properties? Are we housing more people? that's kind of the stuff that really, really does drive me every single day. So as long as I see that ticking along um, and we're solving problems every day, then that's kind of what makes me happy. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Really slow and steady. And also what you said about the team as well, making sure they get paid first and ultimately they're going to help the business grow and develop and you look after them and they'll look after the business ultimately. Exactly. Really exactly. good. Um, awesome. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Hey, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate uh, your time. I know you're busy. And um, yeah, I look forward to seeing how the business develops more in the future. And uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks for having me on, Joe. Cheers. Thank you.